Kiora, good morning. I didn't buy a lotto ticket. I'll tell you what my biggest fear of doing that is. I have preached so much against buying lotto tickets that I'm frightened if I went down and bought one, I'd win it. <laughs> and now, I mean, what am I going to do? Because so um, with $40 million, of course, it would. Anyway, um, so I didn't. I hope you're all being very honest when you didn't put up your hands and say you didn't either. Okay, we're going to carry on from, uh, well, I'm going to carry on from Jesse's message last week. A wonderful message, by the way. If you haven't heard it, please uh, listen to it on the web. Uh, And all I really want to do is pick up a couple of points that uh, Jesse touched on. One of my biggest fears of following Jesse was I already had an idea of what I wanted to share on. And of course, you sit in fear that Jesse's going to cover it. And then I'm going to have a busier week than I thought last week. But he just touched on it and moved on. So the door is still open for for me to be to continue. I have spent a lot of time in Athens. We started a church up there and I went up there and back for many, many years and had the uh, joy of standing on Mars Hill where Paul preached that amazing sermon to the unknown God. And just and the sermon's all written in a big plate at the bottom of this rock. Then you walk up this uh, stairway cut into the rock and stand exactly where Paul stood and you see why he picked that place. It was just absolutely amazing. And we are very blessed that we have not only some of those remnants of history, but we have such a wonderful record in the Word of God, such a rich testimony to Paul and to his amazing life. Um, just make a couple, I want to make a couple points before I start the message, because what I really want to talk about is what can we take out of Paul's life that we can apply to our own life and our own situation, and that's where I want to focus this morning. But just understand a couple of things about Paul. Firstly, Jesus was primarily called to take the gospel and be the original light and the example to the Jews. Paul got that same calling to be that to the Gentiles, and it was very specific so that nobody else, none of the other apostles or nobody else ever got that same calling. He got a very specific calling. And although Paul was a sinner, he was just a man, it was not common to humanity. That is why God afflicted him, and we don't know what it is, but with with something in the flesh to keep reminding Paul that he was just a man. So occasionally people say, oh, I've got one of those afflictions that was uh, put on the Apostle Paul. And, I, you know, I laugh. I think, really? I don't think so. I don't think you really have that calling. And, and the last thing, of course, was Paul wrote Scripture. And I know that some of the other apostles did as well. But when that was finally sealed off, nobody ever had the calling or the anointing or the right to write Scripture. And, of course, people have. Islam is based on claimed revelation since Scripture was written. So is the Mormonism. So is Jehovah's Witness. So if anybody comes to you with what they claim is Scripture since the times of the Gospel, they're in error. They've been deceived. So those three things were very unique to Paul alone. But outside of that, we have many wonderful things we can see about his life. And some of the terms about Paul, they say he was a tireless traveler. The one I want to pick up on this morning is he was an indomitable worker. 
uh, he was a church founder, he was a theologian, and he was so many other things. But uh, it's interesting if we get a good example, a good idea from history. Uh, Paul was uh, had his impact on the Damascus Road around about AD 34, and it seems he was put to death in Rome at AD 67. So Paul's ministry was around 33, 34 years. And during that time, what he achieved was nothing thought, uh, short of phenomenal. And some of the things it says, I'm reading this to you, it says that it is estimated that his missionary endeavors consumed some 12,000 miles. Now, some of it was by sea, but most of it he walked. He didn't jump on a 747 and fly. He didn't even jump in a car and drive. So he may have ridden the odd donkey, but most of it he walked for that period of time. Um, he, he, hundreds of miles were traversed by land. He visited approximately 50 cities in his evangelistic endeavor. And what I want to pick up on is this wonderful passage of Scripture um, in, in 2 Corinthians, and I think it'll come up uh, behind me. But I just want to read it because for reasons I won't go into, Paul suddenly is in a position where he has to explain himself or try and bring about his own credibility. And so he says this. It's, I'm going to start off from verse 22. It says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak of this as if insane. I more so in far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, Five times I have received from the Jews 39 lashes. Imagine what his back looked like. Five times I have received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is daily pressure of, on me of concern for all the churches. Um, whatever this great man of God did and was, he missed the prosperity gospel. I hate it, by the way. It's no secret. Somehow, Paul couldn't live it. Somehow, it didn't work for this wonderful example of life. And I, I, I laugh, and I did put a post on Facebook the other day because I can't help it. I laugh when we quote Philippians 4 when it says, um, my God will do, will do anything I ask. It basically says that, so it's 419, I'm paraphrasing it. And people quote all of this about prosperity, and Paul wrote it when in prison. Well, if that's what it meant, it certainly wasn't working for him. But take heart, folk, because it's not what it means at all. And I don't want to labor that point. The point I want to pick up, which is what amazes me, Paul never complains of fatigue. There's no whimpering at the hardships. There's no disappointment expressed through his life of having been crucified with Christ or that these might be wasted years. 
He didn't have a family or wealth or fame, yet he never complains about this. What makes somebody go on and on and on through all those things? What is it? And we're going to look at that this morning. But primarily, it was basically Paul's love and passion for Jesus and saying, sign me up for whatever you want and I'll do everything I can to achieve it. And daily, Paul had to remind himself for that. See, one of the things in looking at at Paul's life before he encountered Christ and his name was Saul, he was a zealot. He was passionate for the things of God. In fact, he was so passionate that he wanted people punished and even put to death when he considered they were defiling his religion. Now, that's not so unique. In fact, tragically, almost every night on the news, we read about suicide bombers, about ISIS, claiming they are passionate for their belief and for their religion, that they're prepared to blow themselves up and do what they do. However, I don't admire them. Sorry to say that. I think they are actually self-serving cowards. They're after some reward, all fictitious. I'm not even going to go into what it is, but they're after some stupid eternal reward that they're prepared to blow up and destroy innocent men, women, and children just going about their daily life. And here's one thing that I want to make very, very clear. Saul, when he became Paul, repented of that activity. He repented of what he had done. He repented as the people that he had harmed in the name of his religion. He repented of it. He was ashamed of it. In fact, he partly carried, I'm not saying he wasn't healed or forgiven from it, but he partly carried the burden. He constantly reminded himself, I am the least of all the apostles because of what I did before I encountered Christ. So he wasn't proud of it. He didn't hold it up as an example. And nor should we be when we watch anything around that. So what is it the key about Paul? Well, Jesse said last week, Paul was able to do what he did because he was connected with who he was. See, on the road to Damascus, Paul had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in so doing, Paul moved from religion to reality. In that encounter, I want to say to you, if you've never had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and you're here today, whether you're into religion or atheism or whatever, you can move into reality by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In fact, you can't live in reality until you've done that. And so this happened to Paul. He moved from religion to reality. No longer was he supporting a cause or going about a cause. He was now yoked in a relationship with the living God. And he would stop at nothing from that point on to see the name of Jesus glorified. See, it wasn't about Saul anymore. It was about Jesus and his kingdom and Paul putting his whole identity into that world and into that life. And I want to ask us again, do we have the same testimony? Just pause for a minute and think about when you first encountered Jesus. 
Now, I know for some of us it was a dramatic moment in time. I know for other people it was progressive and it came upon you. But even so, do you remember those times? Do you remember a fire igniting in you? Do you remember all the promises you made to him? Lord, I'll do anything for you. Even go to the outer regions of the world, whatever you want. Boy, I hope he doesn't call me on that. But we put up our hand and say, Lord, I will do anything for you. See, here's my question. Where's that in your life today? After however many years you've been walking with Jesus, where is that passion? Has it dropped away? Are you a little bit cynical? Do you run into new Christians and say, yeah, 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 I felt like that when I was at your stage, but you'll soon get a wake up to reality. Is that what comes out of you when new Christians meet you now that you've been walking with the Lord for five or ten or however many years? Have you had a few whips, beatings and shipwrecks in your life? And I have. And you think, well, Lord, I, don't, I didn't know it would be like this. And I'm actually disappointed in you. You don't fill my shopping basket up with the things I pray for. See, where is it in your life today? Or have you kindled that fire daily so it's still burning brightly in your life? Praise God that if we kindle that fire daily, it will carry on burning brightly in our lives through all those situations and circumstances. See, Jesus says that nothing will separate, and Rachel quoted it this morning out of Romans 8. Jesus said that nothing will separate him from us. Do we have things that have allowed us to be separated from him? Jesus is committed to walk us through every single situation in life. Are we committed to push into him in the same way? Because it's a two-way street, brothers and sisters. It doesn't just work one way. Jesus will never fall short. The question is, will we? As far as our love, passion, devotion, and pushing into him in every one of life's circumstances. See, I love Peter's comment. When the crowd walked out on Jesus and he turned to the disciples and he says, are you going to go to, are you going to walk out? And I love Peter's comment. It's in John six sixty nine. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I try and remind myself of that every single day. Bruce, where are you going to go? I want to be able to say, Lord, where can I go? I've given you everything in my life. I have believed that you are the Holy One of God. There's no way back. No way back. So the first point, having a real life encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. That in itself is not enough. So another comment from Jesse last week. Paul plus the Holy Spirit is where the results came from. Paul plus the Holy Spirit is where the results come from. So in Acts 9.17, Ananias was sent to Saul, 
who'd had the encounter with Christ on the Damascus Road, and he was currently blind. And most of you know the story. So Ananias was said to Saul, sent to Saul, and this is what he said. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the second point, we must to achieve the purposes of God in our life, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, accepting Jesus was not sufficient to give Paul the power to achieve the calling on his life that Christ had called him to do. He needed more than just the acceptance of Jesus. See, God has given everybody skills, and that's a wonderful thing. He's given everybody talents and everybody abilities, and he holds us accountable for what we do with those talents and abilities and skills. But as important as they are, they are not able to produce the creative power that God needs to be flowing from our life to achieve his purposes in our life. See, natural power is good. But supernatural power takes us into a spiritual realm and dimension where natural power cannot operate. Now, this doesn't mean we float all around the clouds and say silly things and are, are, are people who are totally disconnected from reality. Because the supernatural power of God is designed to work through us in the real world. We should be the most natural, normal, but super spiritual people on this planet. It's not about our language. It's not about our funny talk. It's about who the Holy Spirit is and what he can do through any person who gives his life or her life and opens up his life or her life to allow the power of God to flow through. I've said this before. God's not trying to make us all into little Jesuses. He's got one Jesus. He loves them. He adores them and that's sufficient. He's trying to make us into the person he always intended us to be, infused and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what dying to ourselves mean. Dying to ourselves doesn't become, mean we become a mini-Jesus. Dying to ourselves means we become the person Jesus intended us to be and we become infused with his characteristics and his power to achieve what God intended you and me to achieve at this time in our life on this earth. And it's really important. See, Jesus started was in a conversation with the disciples, and you can look this up, it's in Matthew 19. But Jesus was in conversation with the disciples, and when he started talking to them about what he was requiring of them and what it meant to be following him, they stared at him and they said, this can't be done. This can't be achieved. Do you know that there is a mandate on every one of your lives as an individual person that cannot be achieved. It's not possible. And so the disciples, they go, whoa, 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 what you are asking for us is impossible. What you are requiring from us is impossible. Do you know what Jesus' answer was? Yes, with man, this is impossible. But with God... 
all things are possible. Who lives in you? The Holy Spirit. Who is he representative of? He is representative of the Almighty God. And he lives in your being. And his commission to you cannot be achieved without him. But with him, you can do the impossible any time the Holy Spirit wants you to do the impossible. Any time. And that's available to all of us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do the impossible. So he constantly wants us to bring him into situations that can only be achieved with his power. He constantly wants to bring you and me into situations that can only be achieved with his power. And instead of quitting and saying, I can't do this, what we have got to say is, Lord, I need your supernatural power to act through me in this situation. Then it will be achieved to your glory. And amazing things will happen in your everyday life. And in fact, I think we've got a slide. Next week, we're asking you to come with your story. Come and bring your story and there'll be opportunities for you to do that. And we want you to tell us about the situations in your life where the power of the Holy Spirit enabled you to do the impossible. Now, don't come and just tell us how God's blessing you. We know he does that. He's very good at it. We are looking for stories next week where you can tell us how God did the impossible through your life. They don't necessarily have to be about healing people and raising the dead and that you cleaned out the wing in the hospital. But if you did that, please tell us. But it can be in the ordinary, everyday things of life because that's where most of these things happen. So prepare your heart and come and share your stories with us next week. Okay, what can we take with Paul's life, from Paul's life? One of the things I want to talk about is being courageous. So let me remind you, courage is not the absence of fear. It's doing what is right even when you are afraid. So the definition of courage is not I'm bold and fearless and never bothered by anything. Courage is doing what is right or what you're called to do even when you're afraid. Now, Paul suffered fear. And in fact, in Corinth, the Lord spoke to him in a night vision. And he said to him, be not afraid. Now, the literal Greek translation is stop being afraid. Now, why would the Holy Spirit tell Paul to stop being afraid if he wasn't afraid? So Paul suffered fear, but he carried on determined to do what God would have him do in every situation in life. And I want to give you an example, which I love. So Paul and Barnabas were on a missionary campaign in Lystra and they began to perform great miracles and the crowds were amazed and people started turning to Christ everywhere. And so a group of Jewish leaders came in from Antioch and they were very disturbed about this. So they got into the crowd and they turned the crowd against Paul and Barnabas. And Paul was stoned and he was dragged outside the city and he was left for dead. Then it says... Paul rose up. Now that had to be a miracle. They knew how to stone people back then. They really did. They didn't leave you till you were nearly dead or if not dead. 
And the view is that Paul may have been dropped over the wall physically. We don't have evidence of that, but that's the view. And the next day, Paul rose up. And the following day, him and Barnabas left for another city and they carried on their missionary work there and many, many more miracles happened and amazing things carried on and many more people were one for Christ. But here's what's interesting. After a period of time, Paul retraces his steps and he says, guys, I have to go back to Lystra. Why? He's been stoned, he's been beaten, he's probably been chucked over a wall. He was miraculously healed, otherwise he'd probably be all smashed up for the rest of his life. And he says this, I have to revisit the church and the disciples then to exhort them to continue in the faith. You've got to be kidding me. He was doing that everywhere else. But see, the courage of Paul And why would this take so much courage? Well, it is pretty obvious, but listen. Paul knew that being a Christian was not going to exempt him from suffering. And he knew that being a Christian was not going to even exempt him from times from physical violence and being set upon. But there was something in Paul, a love for Jesus, a passion for his church, and a passion for his kingdom that called to Paul and drove him off. And I bet he prayed all the way saying, Lord, I don't want to be stoned and whipped and beaten up again, but I've got to get back to these people. Something is compelling me to do this. That something, brothers and sisters, is the same Holy Spirit who's living within you right now, calling you constantly to carry on pushing into Jesus and fulfilling the purpose for which he created you. It takes courage, but it also takes conviction. We have to know we're called. Paul knew he was called for a purpose and he knew the Holy Spirit would empower him to go beyond his own strength to achieve his purposes. Next point I want to pick up is that Paul was uncompromising. See, he was obedient and and compliant to God. He was a man of humility. But don't take this to mean that Paul was a pushover or a compromiser of truth. And this is important for us today. So Peter was a faithful follower of Christ and a beloved brother of Paul's. And Peter slipped up. See, he had this amazing vision. He had a sovereign encounter with God. You remember the story about being lowered down all these animals that were unclean and forbidden in the Jewish diet. And um, the Holy Spirit says, come on, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, I would never do that, Lord, because it's all unclean. And so the Jews considered the Gentiles unclean. And in testifying to the story, Peter said this himself. He said, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Now, despite this, because of peer pressure, hear this, guys. Despite having a vision from God and being instructed by the Holy Spirit, Because of peer pressure, Peter compromises and refused to eat and associate with the Gentiles. And he withdrew from them and and wouldn't have anything to do with them. 
So without hesitation, Paul confronted Peter. And in fact, the words say, Paul said, I resisted him to the face because he was condemned. He stood condemned. It's in Galatians 2.11 if you want it. See, other Jews, including Barnabas, had also got caught up in this hypocrisy. See, here's the point, and here's where I want to go with this. Paul was not interested in maintaining friendships, popularity, or the status quo at the expense of the gospel that Jesus had suffered and died to bring to us. He wasn't interested in it. And he wasn't interested in keeping company with other believers who were. So he would not allow the truth of the gospel to be weakened, compromised, or ridiculed by weak church members who give in to social pressure. Now, this message is so relevant for today. See, today we, being the church, but being under uh, individual believers, we are under huge pressure to compromise on all sorts of things, from gay marriage to sharing toilets to calling sin, sin. And we're told we must not be judgmental about anything. Now, I know these situations and many others like them are not easy to work through and we need a lot of wisdom and a lot of discernment and we need to lead with love. I understand that. I understand that. But Jesus is not going to ultimately thank any of us for making compromises that break down what he suffered and died to implement. We need to understand that. We might gain some good relations with our friends. We might win over some peer pressure. But do you know what? Our main job, brothers and sisters, on this planet is not to resist peer pressure. It's to create it. The church needs to hear that. Our role on this planet is not to resist peer pressure. Our role is to create it. Living a life in such a way that it speaks testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ and it creates conviction when others don't follow suit. We're the head, not the tail. We're not meant to be on the back end of society making apologies all the time or trying to give an account for who we are and what we do. Paul said he was not ashamed of the gospel. And he was not going to be held to be ashamed of the gospel. I state, I am not ashamed of the gospel. If God said it and I don't like it, tough luck, Bruce. Because it's written. And I don't have the power to fight it. I want to have the power to implement it. And I don't want to stand before God at the end of the day and say, well, do you know what sort of peer pressure I was under? Tell that to Jesus hanging on the cross. Tell that to Paul when he's been whipped and beaten and stoned. It doesn't wash, brothers and sisters. We need to stop being ashamed. See, so often we compromise with humanistic reasoning. Now, the minute we compromise with any humanistic reasoning, we are saying reason is the most powerful force in this universe, so reason is God. And in John seven seventeen, it says, Obedience comes before understanding. 
Adam and Eve didn't know why God had put the tree of knowledge in the garden. They were just told to obey what it stated. See, the principle of the kingdom of God is if we obey, God will ultimately give us the understanding of why we're doing it. But we're meant to obey it whether we understand it or not. Because reason is not God. God is. And his word is. See, one of the biggest problems today is that the erosion of biblical values is not a natural phenomena. There are principalities and powers behind all these movements, brothers and sisters. Even though they're coming through the media and they're coming through people, Paul says we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle with principalities and powers. So we need to understand that behind all these things are principalities and powers, and we cannot afford to make a place for subtle demonic strategies that are going to disempower our biblical mandate here on this earth. I want to say that again. We cannot afford to make a place for subtle demonic strategies that are going to disempower God's mandate that he wants to express through us on this earth. So like never before, we need to embrace the example of Martin Luther who said, all of this is turning to custard and looking pretty ugly, but no matter what it cost me, I have read his word and it is here that I stand. I don't want to be caught out as being ashamed for the gospel. When people come to me with Bible verses and say, does it really say that? I say, yes. Yes, it does. It may be hard, it may be tough, but that's what it says, and that's our mandate for life. See, the question is, are we prepared for this? Because, guys, it's going to cost us. It is going to cost us. But ultimately, the rewards will far exceed any price that we pay. We may have to wait for some of them in the next life. God wants to bless us now, I know that but we may have to wait for some of the rewards in the next life. Paul certainly did. See, Paul had an encounter with Christ and was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is where I want to finish, which are wonderful things and they're essential. But Paul knew this was not the end or the ultimate goal. He knew this was the beginning. So if you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ, wonderful. If you haven't, Come and speak to one of the leaders at the end of this meeting and they'll share with you how you can do that. If you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, that's fantastic. You're empowered for the cause of life. If you haven't, come and see one of the leaders at the end. But just remember this. This is not an end in itself. It is the beginning. What is it the beginning of? It's the beginning of a life uncommon. And that's available for all of us. Rejoice in the fact that you're saved and filled with God's Spirit and then go and live your life in such a way that it makes a difference to this planet that is begging for salt and light to be expressed on it in everyday life. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for your gospel. We want to thank you for the price that you have paid and continue to pay for us to be an expression of all that you consider sacred and dear and of value for life. We ask that you continue to lead us by your Holy Spirit. Give us 
courage, Lord, and help us never to compromise the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.